Welcome to the On the Road live show on this Memorial Day weekend. Also, welcome to those watching the YouTube replay. Special welcome to those serving or who have served in our armed forces. Thank you for your service to our country. I'm John Marucci, creator of the On the Road YouTube channel that provides our pod and RV-specific videos to help in your RV travel experience. Now, the purpose of the On the Road live show is to provide a place to interact in community, get questions answered, and stay current on RV news, trends, and resources. Of course, anyone, no matter the experience level, is welcome to participate and ask questions or interact. It's good to have you on the show today and nice to connect with each of you live. Feel free to put in the chat what location you're logging in from. Also, to ask a question, just put the word question in front of your comment so we can see it. So on today's show, we'll cover a couple of dewinterization questions asked by viewers, then look at recent RV news. And in Newbie Corner, we're gonna look at RV buying tips. And in our spotlight segment, we'll take a closer look at Campendium as a great camping resource. You wanna stick around for the live Q&A round as we take your RV travel related questions. So let's take a moment and have a look here. I just wanna welcome everybody who's, who's on the uh, chat here. Benny, thanks for logging in from Ontario. Andrea, thanks for logging in as well. Uh, Jenny in Battle Creek. Chris, uh, thanks for logging in and appreciating. Tim, I see you from Oregon as well. So thanks guys for joining. I think we're gonna have a good show today. Several really interesting segments coming up. Walter, I see you're from Des Moines, Iowa, logging in. Thank you and good morning to you guys. Happy Memorial Day weekend. And uh, Tariq, I see you're from Cleveland as well. Thanks for logging in. Appreciate you guys logging in uh, on the live show. The very first live show, by the way. And uh, looks like Calhamat from uh, Boise, Idaho, and Terry from Fort Collins here, um, assuming Colorado there. Mark from Little Rock. It's great to have you guys on. I think it's going to be a great show. We have a bunch of interesting segments to go on. So without further ado, let's go ahead. Uh, thanks again for joining. Let's go ahead and start our first segment. You know, the first segment is called The Question. And the question segment of the show is about answering a question or two about a specific relevant topic. You know, they're usually gleaned from the viewer's follow-up questions from our various videos on YouTube. And today's questions come from the dewinterization video, which for most RV owners right now is in full swing. As we go along, if the discussion spurns any questions at all, just remember to put them in the chat and we'll try to get to them. So here's our very first question about dewinterization. It comes from MN Patriot, who's a longtime uh, viewer from the channel. And my dealership did my winterization last fall and removed the anode rod when they bypassed the water heater and left it out for the winter. I should put that thing back in prior to flushing and sanitizing. So he's asking about the anode rod. So, you know, the anode rod's a very interesting uh, piece that goes into your hot water tank. And we had a little bit of trivia. If you're able to join early, you saw that we had some trivia in our pre-roll. And, uh, you know, one of the trivia pieces was about the anode rod, that it actually self-sacrifices for the water tank to keep it from corroding. So, yeah, you're going to need to unbypass the hot water tank so that the bleach solution fills the hot water tank when you dewinterize. If you didn't have the anode rod secured in the hot water tank, water would just flow right out of the tank. So you have to insert the anode rod and pressurize the plumbing system to do your dewinterization. Okay, and so, you know, in the trivia, like I mentioned, we did have the purpose of the anode rod. It, it corrodes first. It's very interesting. The anode rod kind of serves a noble task. It corrodes first before the steel tank. And here's how you actually look at it to insert it, right? For the, for the anode rod, you can see here that 
uh, it, it actually is a, a long rod that goes into that little hole at the bottom of the hot water tank. And again, it corrodes before the steel tank would itself. And when you're going to apply it, you want to actually put some Teflon tape around it to tighten it down. You put it around one and a half times in the same direction you tighten the rod. And then you would actually use a torque wrench, but you don't want to over tighten it when you put it in. You just want to tighten it about seven to eight foot pounds of torque. Okay, we have a second question. This is from Paul Aldridge, also from the channel. Hi, John. Is there any merit to using white vinegar in the fresh tank to neutralize the bleach along with another wrench? I'm new to all this and saw this step on another YouTube visit. Um, YouTube video, sorry. On the surface, it seemed like a waste of water. So this is an interesting little topic because, you know, when you're sanitizing the tank, we had this in the trivia as well, the, the right amount of sanitization uh, bleach solution is a quarter cup per every 15 gallons. So for an R pot, it has a 30-gallon freshwater tank. So you're going to need a half cup mixed into the freshwater tank and then flowing through to, to actually sanitize the system properly. And the interesting thing here is that you got to remember that it is bleach solution, so if you use the right amount, it shouldn't really smell all that strong after rinsing fresh water through. Remember, if you're doing this, to let the bleach solution sit for a minimum of three hours to kill all the bacteria. And if you're especially sensitive to the smell of bleach, then running a mix of white vinegar through may help alleviate the bleach smell. You know, I personally haven't done this, but if you've done it, feel free to share your comments or any kind of mix that you use in the chat to help other people out. Okay, so let's flip over to the chat. Do we have any other questions? Let's have a quick look. Any questions going on as far as the anode rod? Okay, it doesn't look like anything at this point, but again, remember, just put question in front of any comment if you have a question about this. So our second segment of the show is gonna be RV news. Now the RV news segment of the show is all about getting up to speed on the latest RV news that may impact you. We look at various sources and try to boil the news down to a few main items to review. So feel free to ask questions and comment as we go along. So first up is the RPOD 202 just been released, at least the news about it should be out this summer. Now Forest River is calling this the eighth wonder of the world. Now RV, Forest River announced this and it's the eighth wonder of the world according to them. So just take a pause there. You know. Uh, theoretically here, there's seven wonders of the world, and the eighth one of the world, which actually got kicked out of this latest list of seven wonders, is the Great Pyramids of Giza. And you can see that on this picture here. So let's take a quick look at the RPOD 202 floor plan. You can look at it on the screen here, and you'll see that the new RPOD 202 is actually 25 feet in total length, which is the longest RPOD yet to, uh, to be produced. It's got a six cubic foot refrigerator, and it's got the largest bath ever. Now, if you notice in the floor plan, plan picture here, you can see the front bedroom, walk around front bedroom, queen. But then it looks like it has a Jack and Jill bathroom that you actually have to walk through to get to the living area where the dinette and the kitchen are, etc. So that's an interesting feature. Uh, one of the things here from a marketing perspective, uh, it says on, on their brochure here, we'll turn competitors into tourists. Now, uh, it's a little bit of hyperbole in my opinion as far as the uh, calling it the eighth one of the world. So let's take a, you know, so this is the floor plan and, you know, kind of speculative there in terms of the naming there. But okay, we're going to take a little break here and do a little giveaway. So the first one to respond with the correct answer in the chat will get this official, all right, official on the road uh, magnet. Okay, it's a magnet. 
And you have to just put the first answer, the first one to answer correctly in the chat. If you're willing to send me your home address uh, via private message on Instagram and Twitter to win the magnet. So here's the trivia question. What late 1980s movie featured the Seven Wonders of the World miniature golf course and who were the two famous lead actors of the film? So we'll leave that up for just a second. Again, you get to win a, uh, a, a uh, magnet, official OTR team magnet. And we'll circle back to that in a second after the news with the winner. Okay, so let's look, look at some more news here. So as far as air travel, TSA checkpoint numbers the past 30 days are showing a 92% year-over-year drop in passenger traffic, trending up slowly in recent weeks. So if you look at the 30-day totals, only 5 million people have traveled by air in the last 30 days versus 71 million in, in 2019. However, RVs as an alternative really should do well. And RV News is reporting as of May 19th that longtime RV business leaders say the industry is poised for a spike in sales, rentals, and general interest in the RV lifestyle. At a time when most people will likely think twice before booking a flight or taking a cruise, RVs could emerge as the go-to for leisure travel and outdoor vacations. Phil Gracia, RV Dealer Association president, says, quote, we're in a position to maybe come back more quickly than other industries in the travel sector. It's the nature of the activity and nature of the product that will allow us to provide an option to a lot of people who don't have a lot of options right now. However, Ingracia says that a surge in popularity is dependent on the return of other elements of the outdoor recreation. In order for people to want to purchase an RV, he said, they'll have to be able to use it and be able to find aftermarket parks they need. And that's from uh, RV News. There's another interesting quote from Joel Holland, founder and CEO of Harvest Host. He has a quote here, there's something interesting in every single state and there's something interesting within every 100 mile radius. We're excited to get back on the road and it doesn't mean we have to do just cross country trips. We're just going to be excited to get out of the house, and that's from FocusWire, quoting, uh, quoting Joel there. All right, now another piece of news is this week, Thor, who's the largest producer of RVs in North America, they have 50% of the market share, came out with a North American RV consumer survey report. And we're gonna look at that right now. Basically, Thor is reporting after uh, input from nearly 20,000 randomly selected RV owners and pers prospective RV owners, in a survey that was conducted April 26th through May 8th that included questions assessing consumers' canceled travel plans, travel intent through 2020, planned RV usage, etc. 94% still plan on vacationing in 2020. So even though we've gone through a pandemic here, most people are still doing, planning on doing vacationing in 2020. And believe it or not, 79% plan to use their RVs the same or more than last year. The main consideration here is campgrounds being opened as being the number one hindrance from doing camping. And amazingly here also, a quarter of prospective buyers are looking for ultralights. So there's a lot of new people coming into the market and they're looking probably to go up from tent camping to ultralights or just to start off with an ultralight. Unfortunately, the report doesn't compare levels from prior years to see how different this is now. Yet the trend for new buyers in the market who are substituting RVs for other types of vacations is fairly apparent. So here's my take. I think the trend toward RV travel for the near, near future is very strong. 
I am regularly on the RPOD and other RV forums, and without question, there has been an uptake in folks buying RVs. This has several secondary implications, including increasing demand for campsites, more RVs being produced, which can actually impact quality, and the high need for instruction and training. Okay, so let's take a circle back here and look at if anyone's got the trivia question correct, and it doesn't look like we have any. So let's throw that up, just in case uh, anyone wants to know. Now the answer is the movie Overboard in 1987, which was starring Goldie Hawn and Kurt Russell. Okay, you know, I'm gonna just do a quick check-in here and, and look at some other folks who are, who are on. And I think, I see Tom Feeney from Cleveland. Um, I, I see Randy from uh, Pennsylvania, appreciate you joining. Uh, Roy Wimmer from uh, Crossville, Tennessee. Hi, Roy, good morning. John Irwin, checking in from Culper, Culpeper, Virginia. Hi, John, good morning. And it looks like we have a question here too. Uh, does the tankless water heater have an anode rod? That's a good question. And I'm, I'm not sure of that answer. And I think uh, if anyone on the chat would know that I have never used a tankless, uh, uh, excuse me, a, yeah, tankless hot water heater, an instant hot water heater, basically an RV. So I don't know the answer to that. But if anyone on the chat does, feel free to, uh, to jump, on, jump in on that and uh, we'll know that. If not, you know, a really good place I go to to ask questions for things that I'm not sure about is I go to the um, rpod-owners.com uh, area on the internet. It's actually a really good place to ask questions. There's some seasoned folks on that on that forum that you can ask questions to. So I would point you to that uh, that forum to ask that question. Okay, we're going to jump back uh, onto the onto the segment here. The next segment we're going to is newbie corner. Now this newbie corner segment's all about covering a topic focused on helping those just getting started with RVing. There are a bunch of people in this category right now. If you're new, feel free to let us know in the chat and ask questions. Today we'll be talking about buying new versus used. So this is a really important topic. One would assume that buying a new trailer would always be a better idea versus buying a used trailer. Yet many times new trailers have warranty issues that have to be tackled and mods desired before the unit gets dialed in. Uh, you know, if interested, I have a RPOD second birthday video that talks to the 20 issues I had to deal with in the first two years. So it's not always smooth sailing. It's important to have proper expectations. So let's look at the pros and cons of new first. So if you're buying new, one of the pros of new is that you're gonna be the first and only user of a brand new unit. So if that's something that's important to you, if you don't wanna buy a unit that someone else has used, so that's obviously a pro to buying new. Usually new units also have the latest features, and that's very true. You know, features are always being added to RVs and when they're released, usually the newest ones have the very latest things from a technology perspective. And of course, very importantly, is warranty. Most RVs have at least a one-year warranty that is not transferable. And we'll get into that in a moment. So those are the main pros of going with new. Okay, some of the cons of new is that you can have unresolved workmanship issues. So it definitely happens, and it happened with my, both of my new units with R-Pods and also my Keystone, by the way. It can have construction debris. So this is a fact. Those of you who've had new um, RVs know that. You can go down the road after your first couple trips and you're a little frustrated that you're seeing sawdust come out from the cracks and you're having to clean it up regularly and that can happen. And of course, one of the main cons of new is depreciation. Once you take any new vehicle or RV off the lot, you know, it's gonna depreciate quite a bit and you're gonna eat that if you're buying it new. So let's look at the used side. So what are the pros and cons of used? 
First of all, the pros of buying a used v used RV are the potential cost savings. Obviously, you can you know pay less for the same unit. Um, possibly, you have included upgrades, as some of these units are really dialed in. You know, again, my 20 issues that I dealt with in the first two years of my RPOD 179, they are just you know taken care of and dealt with. So if I were to sell it at any point here, and uh, you know the next owner just wouldn't have to deal with it. And of course, depreciation. Someone else has uh, bit the depreciation, so you don't have to when you're buying used. Now, there's some major cons with buying used, and it's very important to understand this. The first and major one is that there's hidden issues. There can be hidden issues, and there can be hidden issues with RVs. So you've got to be very careful in your inspection when you're looking at a used unit. Uh, make sure either if you uh, don't get up to speed, have someone come with you who is and knows what to look for. Uh, RVs can have problems with water issues in the walls or floors where you have leaking that is, is difficult to you know comprehend when you're just doing a quick walkthrough. Remember again a big con is warranties are not transferable. So even if you were to buy a brand new unit that someone only owned a few months and had to get rid of it for whatever reason and you got a good deal on it, you're not getting the warranty. That's not transferable to you. So basically any other issue that you have to deal with is coming out of your pocket. And you know you just have to understand that that's a big negative of a used unit. So here's some things to consider if you're looking for new. Number one, how long has it been on the lot? You know I looked up this morning on RV Trader. There's actually 153,000 RVs for sale right now on RVTrader.com. And remember here, this is has all new and used on there for various years. Now when I did a quicker, a little deeper dive here. 10,000 of those new units, that means they haven't been sold, are 2019s. And 18,000 of those new units are 2021s. And a bunch of them obviously are 2020s. So that's to say, if you're looking for a brand new unit and you go to a dealer lot, there may be 2019s, 2020s, and 2021s. So that 2019 may have been sitting there a really long time. It's new in that no one else has used it but it isn't necessarily new in terms of age. So just be aware of that when you're looking at new units out on lots that you know there's a lot of changes that can happen even mid-cycle for a model year. You know, a, a new model for RVs, you know, it's notoriously bad in terms of model years. For example, my 2017 179, there are actually three variances. There was a green model, which was the first, then it switched to a blue model with a blue roof, and then a blue model with a gray roof. So there's three actual different models in 2017. You got to understand that some major changes happened between those models. Okay, what about if you're looking for used? These are some things to consider. First of all, why is the person selling? It's always a good question to ask. You know, what's the condition? Are there maintenance records? Has the uh, current owner done maintenance regularly? Because it's very important on RVs. Are there any owner upgrades? Are any other items included, like a weight distribution hitch? Very important because those things can be expensive if you have to buy them. Is the unit had you know been smoked in or had pets? Now that's important if you have any allergy issues. You got to understand that. Okay, so let's just take a little break here and see if we have any questions in the chat. We've been going along here. Um, I'm looking at the chat right now, and let's let's put some questions up here. In just a second. Let me just get to it. Uh, let's see here. Jenny Clear. Dan says no anode rod in the tankless water heater. Okay, great to know. So that was an answer to a question someone had earlier. Appreciate that. It looks like we have some other questions uh, right here. Uh, Terry Little. I'm sorry. Let's do this one. Benny first. Sorry about that, guys. Uh, newbie here. I'm 
if I'm looking at a used RV from a private seller, what would be some critical things to ask about? Or is it best to go to a dealer? Now, that's, that's an important question, you know, because you can buy private party or you can buy from a dealer. And I think some important questions to ask are, are basically about, you know, the use of it, you know, how many owners has it had, what kind of maintenance has been done to it, and then generally, if it's used, whether it's new or, or a dealer or a private party, you're going to want to really go through it and test everything. So have them plug it in, make sure the air conditioner works, make sure all the, all the appliances work. You're going to need to test all the systems, including electrical, including plumbing, your propane, make sure your furnace works. So you've got to do a thorough inspection. So I'm not sh so sure, Benny, that it matters where, whether it's private party or a dealer, but it really matters if you're thorough on your inspection. So my advice is that if you're buying a used unit, make sure you have them go through it extremely thoroughly. Now, if you're buying from a private party and they can't plug it into 30 amp, you may not be able to test the AC, for example, so that's problematic. But generally, you wanna make sure everything works before you take it. The other thing I would really advise on a used unit is make sure you look for any discoloration on the walls or floors, which would be indications of moisture issues. And that's an ex extremely important issue in, uh, for any RV is to look for moisture because if you have moisture problems, that could be a big issue uh, going down the road as far as repair. Okay, and let's hop to the next question. I'm just grabbing another one up here. Okay, just one moment here, getting it on here, guys. Uh, Terry, a uh, question has the 2021 20, RPOD 179 changed the framing for the floor. Now, I don't know the answer to that, Terry. I'd have to look into that. Um, I haven't heard anything about it. Uh, not sure. I know I have something out there and you may be referring to the actual metal frame that's in within the floor and especially in the kitchen area, which I would hope they would change at some point, but we don't know that. And I'd have to find that out for you. If anyone else uh, on the, on the uh, chat here knows that for sure, then feel free to comment on that. But sorry, Terry, I don't have any information on that at this point. We will look into that. Uh, other questions? Okay, Rose McNamara. Okay, this is, <laughs> you're gonna get into, into this one. This is interesting, uh, Rose. Any advice for mounting two bikes on an R-Pod? Okay, this is, this is a difficult answer, and I actually have a video that talks about the eight different ways to take bikes with you when you're taking your R-Pod. Now, there's a huge debate. If you answer, ask this question on some of the forums, you're gonna get a lot of uh, static and pushback about taking your bikes on the back of the R-Pod because a lot of people think the uh, back hitch just isn't really strong enough because of the, um, the weight of the hitch and the sway on the back of the hitch from bumps. It's gonna put a lot of pre downward pressure on that hitch and it'll fail at some point. And there's been a lot of examples where that's happened, by the way, so you gotta be very careful. Uh, there's some counter to that that you can weld some pieces back there if you wanna use the back of your R-Pod to tote bikes. Now, other people, the other very popular place to do it is on the tongue. There's a thing called a jacket, which is a, a device that you can put on the tongue. And there's something from uh, another company that goes on the tongue, which is the front, uh, in front of the travel trailer behind your tow vehicle where you can put bikes on. But again, I have a video. If you want to search the channel, uh, John Marucci uh, R-Pod channel on YouTube, you can find that eight different ways to do this. I'd advise looking into that. And if you're gonna use the back of the R-Pod, you might wanna get it reinforced or make sure your bikes are extremely light because there can be significant downward pressure on that. So hopefully that helps a little bit, Rose. 
Uh, let's see if we have any questions. Yeah, and it looks like Roy Wil uh, Wimmer is also weighing in on that. And there's a lot of different um, advice on this. So Roy is saying, Rose, move the spare tire underneath the R-Pod. That frees up the rear mount for a bike rack. And that's true. That can be done. But again, just be a little careful as far as the weight back there. You don't want to put, you know, 50-pound bikes, two 50-pound bikes back there. You're going to cause a little bit of issue, I think. So you got to be careful for the weight. Just be aware of that. Let's see if we have anything else coming up from that. Um, Let's just, I'm just, I'm just, give me a second to look through the different questions. Okay. Uh, Don Lyon says, have you looked into installing tankless water heat? If so, any models you recommend? Now, I just talked about that a few minutes ago, Don. I haven't done anything with uh, tankless hot water heaters. Uh, the nice thing about it is that they're instant, apparently, and you don't have to deal with the hot water maintenance issues as much. I've seen on YouTube some channels that have done this in their travel trailers, and they seem to work pretty well, but I haven't done it in my R-Pod or Keystone Bullet, so I don't have any experience with it. So, Don, again, I would I would point you to the R-Pod owners forum, to uh, rpod-owners.com to ask that question. There's probably some folks on there who have done it or know about it better than I do. Let's see. I'm just I'm scanning through the questions again. Let's see if we have anything else. Okay, Sylvia has a question. Uh, welcome, Sylvia, from Calgary, Canada. It's nice to know we have our northern neighbors on board. I'm here in Michigan right now. It's going to be, I think, 78 today, which is really nice. We cannot get the electric element for our hot water heater to work. Switch is on, and we tried the reset button. Uh, warranty issues. Well, yeah, if it's if it's a year or less, I would call my dealer. If it's actually not working, you want to check your, your uh, fuse panel first, right? So your fuse panel is where your converter is. Like in the R-Pod 179, you walk in the door and it's right at the base of the, of the uh, shelving unit there. And so you want to check that. You're going to need to open it and make sure all of your breakers are properly set. Do that first. But if they're all on and your electric element isn't working, I'd give a ring to my dealer and see if you can take it in. Hopefully your dealer isn't too far away. Get that scheduled before it's a year and get that taken care of and looked at. Okay, thanks, Sylvia, for that question. Uh, let's see, anything else? All right, let's keep going then. You know, the next section of, of the show is called Spotlight. Now, the Spotlight section is really interesting. I think it's a, the segment of the show is all about highlighting a specific resource so that we can become more informed in making decisions. Today, we're going to be looking at a great resource called Campendium.com. Now, just as a caveat, I have no affiliation with Campendium. Uh, and Campendium you know, is one of the companies that's leading the way right now in keeping the RV community current on campground openings and closings given the recent pandemic. They're actually updating their site on a daily basis. But the Campendium site's pretty interesting. I'm just going to do another search here. One of the things to notice about Campendium is that you can actually look at what, camp, what campgrounds are open and closed. So here you go uh, with the, the site here in, in terms of some of the things that they keep up every day in terms of what's open and what's not open. So you can actually search which sites or which campgrounds are open or not. So here I'm going to do a quick search for in my home state of Michigan. Let me just type that in here in the box. All right, so Michigan. So it's going to give a map of Michigan. And you can click on this and go into more detail. And it'll show actually all the campsites in Michigan. But notice here that it has a little checkbox in the top left corner where it can exclude uh, any campgrounds that are closed. You'll notice that only a few things now show up in Michigan. So you can go to any state, which is amazing, and use this little checkbox to see what campgrounds are open and closed, especially important if you're travel planning coming up. And then let's just jump back here, and we're going to jump down to, uh, again, this area that they're keeping up every day 
based on the current pandemic. And we're going to just go to a specific state. So say we want to plan a trip to Colorado. All right. And you can actually click and see that, you know, most campsites reopen on May 12th. And they have links here actually to be able to drill down. So I'm just going to click on this and go to the actual Colorado area, the website that they have in Colorado. And this is taking me to the Colorado Parks and Wildlife website so I can get more information. So they do a fantastic job of linking resources. So if you're doing a road trip and you want to end up in Colorado or even go through Colorado, you can drill down and find information on that. And again, they have a lot of stuff here that in every specific area, Army Corps of Engineers and National Parks. So if you want to go to a national park, you absolutely want to look at this to see what's closed and open. And you can click on every park here that's presented and take a look there. So once again, apologize for the audio issues there. It's my fault. Uh, we're just going to jump over there. So that's Campendium. I hope you have a chance to take a look at that, especially if you're uh, going to do some up upfront uh, trip planning. All right. So... In the next uh, segment here, we're going to actually go to uh, some final Q&A. So we come to our final segment of the show, which is open Q&A. And you can ask any RV question at all. It doesn't have to be on the topics we discussed. Just remember to put the word question before your question so we can easily identify it. All right, so let's have another look uh, at the questions. That are, if there's any more questions, we just want to open this up. Let's have a quick look here. It looks like we have a question. Uh, well, it looks like a welcome, Gregory, from uh, Commercial Point, Ohio. Thanks, Gregory, for joining. Appreciate that. Um, let's have another look. Jason, if you never use the fresh water, should you still bleach it each year? And that's a great question, Jason, and the answer would be yes. Basically, what you want to do is if you um, ever leave any kind of moisture, now remember, this is a freshwater tank, so even if you drain it fully, there's going to be some humidity in there. And anything like that over time can build up mold spores and bacteria. So if it's the general counsel here is that if you've left your RV and freshwater tank, you know, for the winter or for a couple months, you're probably going to want to sanitize it again before you start using it again, because there's going to be bacteria that'll grow in there pretty easily in that freshwater tank. Uh, so just be aware of that. Absolutely, you're going to want to sanitize it before you use it if it's been sitting any length of time. And I think even more so in warmer climates. Okay, great question, Jason. Thanks for asking it. All right. Uh, we got another one here. Let's see. Just pulling these up, folks. Give me just a second. Randy Brown. I'm a newbie to RVing. Decided to continue weekend camping, hunting, and fishing in my pickup. Looking at the bullet for longer trips where we stay on hard top or improved roads. Thoughts on this? Well, yeah. If you don't know, Randy, I actually own a Keystone Bullet 243 BHS. I, brought it, I bought it uh, a few weeks from a year ago, it's almost a year old now, and I took the Keystone Bullet all the way down to Florida from Michigan this winter, and I did uh, a few months down there working remotely, and it was a really nice trailer. So I think the key point here is you've got to understand your tow capacity with your vehicle. For example, the 243 BHS, uh, the unloaded weight's about 5,000 pounds, so loaded it's going to be a little more than that. And, and the Bullet has several different versions, right, smaller and larger than that. So it depends on your, your tow vehicle. You're probably going to need at least a half-ton truck. But I think that the Keystone Bullet is nice. Now, you know, if you, if you were here a little bit early before the show, the very last trivia question we asked was, you know, what new innovation did Keystone put in the Bullet and the Premier lines? Very important thing here that Keystone did. This is, this is actually one of the biggest thing news items I've seen in the RV industry in the last few years, and that is the HyperDeck floor system. 
So Keystone in their Bullet and Premier lines has added Hyperdeck Floor. Basically, it's very, um, it's it's a, a very interesting uh, type of uh, material that is not. Uh, it, it basically doesn't absorb water. So one of the main problems that most people have with travel trailers over time is you have some sort of leak. It gets into the floor. The floor gets destroyed, and you have a major problem. But the new Hyperdeck is supposed to solve that. Now I was fortunate. Now this is this, I just found this out this week. It's week, so I'm pretty excited. But I was fortunate that. Um, you know, I was actually the fourth, believe it or not, bullet travel trailer that got the Hyperdeck floor. It was made in late May of 2019. It was a 2020 Bullet 243 BHS, and it had the Hyperdeck floor. So Keystone has come up, in my opinion, with a very interesting and very powerful technology upgrade to their units in the Hyperdeck floor. And I'm hoping that what will happen is this will flow through the other industry, all the RV industry, and others will have to jump onto it. Now, this is for the ultralights, by the way, that have the Luon board, Styrofoam, and Luon board sandwiched in their floors. Like the R-Pods have this, Styrofoam and Luon, and so water issues can be a problem. But the new Keystone, Bullet, and Premier lines, as of you know May of last year, late May of last year, have the Hyperdeck floor. So it's definitely a selling point, something you want to consider. And it, it is something that differentiates Keystone going forward on the Bullet Premier lines. So Randy, thanks for that. Hopefully that's helpful. Let's see, any other questions? Looks like we have quite a few questions. And feel free to ask this open Q&A, folks. So just feel free to ask questions you have. Coming from Karen Barnes, by the way, Karen, thanks for joining us. Are there two different textures on the R-Pod? I'm concerned about using oxidation remover on the green sides. Okay, as far as I know, there's no uh, there's no different materials on the R-Pod. It's all fiberglass based on the roof. In fact, the R-Pod, except the 192, no, 193, 195, 196, do not have a fiberglass roof. Anything before that, so any numbers lower than that, they have a full fiberglass roof. Like my 179 has a fiberglass roof and fiberglass sides. So you can use uh, that kind of compound on the fiberglass, and I don't, don't think you have to worry about it. Uh, the later units, if you have a 192, 193, 195, or 196, they don't have fiberglass roofs. Okay, great question, Karen. Hopefully that was helpful. Um, let's see. Sylvia Armstrong, we are considering installing an inverter to use uh, plug-in items. Any recommendations or comments? Now, I think that's no problem installing an inverter. It's not a bad idea. And then you can set some, a couple of your plugs in the unit to an inverter so you can use the battery versus having it plugged into uh, 30 amp. It's a great idea. You just got to make sure you do it correctly. I'm again going to point you to, if you have an R-Pod and you want to put an inverter in, there's usually a place you can do it behind the converter. But I'm going to point you again to the rpod-owners.com site because they're going to have a lot more instruction and there's guys who's done that. I haven't done that to any of my units. Um, but you can do that to your RV and add an inverter but there's specific things you need to be aware of. So I'm going to point you to that forum again to just ask them. There's several people on there who've done that, and they can help you with the directions on that. So hopefully that helps, Sylvia. And we have the, the, the uh, website up there for just a second. Okay, looks like we've got another one. Just keep the questions coming. Whatever you want to ask, RV-related, we'll try to get to it. Andrea, by the way, again, Andrea, thanks for joining. Question, quick synopsis of inverter or converter, purpose, and any related issues. Okay. All right, so a converter... What that's going to do is take your shore power. So when you, for an R-Pod, for example, or even my Keystone Bullet, it has a 30-amp plug. You plug the 30-amp into shore power at your campsite, and it's taking the AC current and converting it to DC to 
to keep your battery charged, to run your LED lights and several other items within the unit to convert that power from shore power AC to DC. Okay, and an inverter is just basically taking, taking that and allowing you to plug into AC for anything. So think of like your outlet box in a house, right? A two-prong outlet. That has to be AC power. So all an inverter is doing is taking, taking uh, the DC power, converting it to AC so you can plug things into it. If you plugged in, say, a light that has a plug into a power outlet into your R-Pod, and you're not plugged into 30 amp, you're not going to get anything because those are those are hooked up to AC only. So a converter, uh, an inverter is going to take and allow some of those plugs to be able to be used when you're boondocking and not plugged in anywhere. That's why it's really important. Now I'd caveat that with, if you're going to do a lot of boondocking, you got to think of the power of your batteries and upgrading your battery pack, etc. So there's some other costs involved or obviously solar. But even if you're going to go solar, you're going to need some stronger batteries probably than just a stock RV battery. Great question, Andrea. Hopefully that helped and cleared it up. I'm um, just looking around here if we have anything else going on. Any other questions, feel free to ask. Uh, anything else going on? Let me just peruse back through. And feel free, if you if you didn't get your question asked, you can re-answer it. I'm just looking through the list here if you haven't asked anything. And I'm not seeing anything so far. So anybody else? We'll give it a couple more calls. We won't belabor it. Um, I see one from Randy, it looks like. No, I think we got Randy already. Sorry, Randy, it looks like we already we already answered that. I think we're doing pretty good on that. Um, and I think that's that's it as far as questions. We'll give just another 10 seconds or so. If you have any questions, feel free to ask, uh, ask before we go ahead and start wrapping up the show. And I think that's it. So, you know, so that'll do it for today's show. And I want to thank everybody for joining the live show. Hopefully it was helpful. If you haven't already subscribed, we'd love to have you on the On the Road team. You can also join us on Instagram and Twitter at John Marucci. This is John Marucci. We're going to sign off for now. Stay safe and so long and have a great weekend.